Um, good morning. I'm going to take another drink of water. Uh, welcome to spring again, spring 2.0, right? Everybody's having allergies and all that fun stuff. I don't know what happened. It's been weird, right? Um, but uh, that's okay. They make Kleenexes and water, so we'll get through it. But um, this morning we're going to be in Matthew 6. And last week we started uh, what I didn't really know at the time was going to be a series. I was like, we're going to talk about forgiveness for however long God wants us to talk about forgiveness. And then we'll go on to the next thing. And um, then as we moved through last week, going into this week, it's just... Um, God's still pressing into us in that, in that way, and this morning I want to be obedient to that. And in Matthew 6, we're going to talk about forgiveness in this uh, new series, Unchained, um, not off the chain. Kristen's not here to appreciate that this morning, but um, Unchained, and it's just talking about not being chained uh, to unforgiveness and anger. Um, see, we talked about last week, the, the truth is, I think a lot of times we think that when we don't forgive people, we're chaining these people to some situation, some hurt, something they've done to us. And a lot of times those people have already left that moment. They don't care that we're mad, <laughs> right? They hurt you the first time. They probably don't care now. Uh, they don't care that you're mad or you're frustrated or you've not forgiven them. They've left that moment. And what we end up doing is we chain ourselves to that situation. And, and we see in the Bible that God invites us to, to lay those things down. And this morning we're going to continue talking about that in Matthew 6. And um, maybe it'll be weird as we get there, but it's going to seem like we're talking about prayer this morning. <laughs> and in a way, I guess we are talking about prayer this morning because I don't think that we're going to forgive people in our life without an enormous amount of prayer. Uh, forgiveness is such an unnatural thing for us. Um, for most of us, we are built in a way that we just kind of enjoy being angry. And it's really hard to let go of, of those things. And unfortunately, what that means is it's not natural for us just to let things go. Even people like me, I'm pretty laid back. I hold on to things, and maybe you wouldn't know that, but it's, it's true. And um, God invites us to get rid of those things. And this morning in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to talk about that. Matthew is a... One of the Gospels, if you haven't been around for very long. Huh? Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was a tax collector named Levi, and then he uh, was invited to follow Jesus, and Jesus started calling him something different, and that was Matthew. And then he followed Jesus until the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, Matthew continued just to do the work of the gospel, and he, luckily for us, decided to write down some stories about Jesus' life, some teachings, and this is the book that we have in front of us. It's this record, or this, uh, um, I can't think of words right now, my brain is not working. That's awesome. I love it when that happens, don't you? Um, it's the story of Jesus' life, and it's not everything, but it's some things, but what I love about this is we have eyewitness accounts of the things Jesus actually said and he did. So this morning when we read Matthew 6, it's not something somebody wrote down like 200 years after the death of Jesus. He, he, he was there for these things. And Matthew 6 is a larger section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. It goes from Matthew 5 to the end of Matthew 7. And it's a, 
the largest uninterrupted section of teaching of Jesus in the Gospels, five, six, seven, that's a lot of chapters, a lot of verses in there. And it talks about a lot of things. It starts with the blessed are the blank, for they shall blank, like the Beatitudes is what we would call them. And it moves through lots of different teachings on, on several topics. And we're going to focus specifically today on Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 15. And Jesus is talking about prayer. He starts back about verse 5 talking about prayer just to kind of set the stage. And he says, whenever you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. Now, we know the word hypocrites is largely associated with church. And what they mean is people that don't live how they believe. I just want to take the air out of the balloon today. We're all hypocrites, right? Like people call, yes, that's true, we are, and so are they, and so is everybody else. And some people use that as an excuse not to come to church. And if they use that as an excuse not to come to church, just go ahead and fill them in. Well, don't go to Walmart either, right, because they're full of hypocrites. And probably don't use the toilet in your bathroom because some hypocrite constructed that. Like everybody's hypocrites because nobody lives the way they believe today. That's not a mark of the church. That's a mark of the, you know, the whole world, and we're all hypocrites. But that's not the hypocrites he's talking about here, this word Hypocrites is a word that basically is talking about a Greek or a Roman actor, and it's somebody who's performing on a stage and pretending to be someone they are not. It's, it's, also, it's the pretending, but it's also the performing. And he says, when you pray, don't pray like a hypocrite. You're not an actor on a stage praying to an audience. You're not a performer. You're not up there to draw a crowd. When you, when you pray, you're not praying to an audience. You're praying to... God. And he just says, when you pray, don't pray like an actor, because they, they love to pray standing in the synagogues, talking about the religious leaders and on the streets to draw a crowd to be seen by people. And he says, they've got their reward. And he says, but when you pray, go pray in private to God, not to people. He starts with these non-examples of how to pray, and then he gets into this thing that we know as the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer may be written in your word, and he just says, therefore, because of this, setting in the context of 5 through um, 8, we see what Jesus is about to say. Because we don't want to be actors, because we don't want to pray for an audience, because this is a, a thing between us and God, therefore, because of that, Jesus says, you should pray like this. I wanted to just point out, he doesn't say you should pray this. This is not the only prayer. It's a prayer, and I don't care that we say it at basketball games and whatever. Like, this is, this is not the only way to pray, but Jesus is giving us a mentality or an attitude here that we should come into prayer with. And he says you should pray like this or pray in this mentality or pray in this way. And he just starts out, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, what he's not saying today is if we're going to pray, we've got to start all our prayers with our Father in heaven, right? Like some of you say, um, Holy Father, or, you know, like our Father God or whatever. He's not saying you have to start with that specific word. So when you go home and you want to pray tonight, you don't have to say our Father in heaven is the beginning of your prayer. This is more a mentality than it is a formula. What Jesus is doing is he's inviting us to pray to our Father in heaven. 
and saying, when you pray, I want you to remember who you're praying to. You're praying to your Father. And what Jesus is doing is he's immediately tying prayer to a relationship. Prayer is a relational thing. Prayer is not a formula to get what we want from God. It's a relational thing. It's communication between us and our Father who is in heaven. That's what he's saying here. I think sometimes we get in our head that prayer is like this thing where we come and we bow our head and we ask God for all these things and then we get up and we hope that we win the lottery, right? Like We're like, hey God, if you would do this and 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 this, I'd be great. Amen, hallelujah, bye. And that's not what prayer is intended for. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. He's like, you're not praying for a bunch of people. You're praying to somebody. Prayer is about relationship. If you want to have a relationship with God, it's going to start on this foundation of prayer. He says prayer is a relational thing. When you're talking to God, remember, he's our father. There's a relationship there. But then step two, what he's doing is he's, uh, he's inviting you to identify God as your father, just like he's Jesus' father. Isn't that amazing? I think we all would be like, oh, yeah, Jesus, it's the son of God, you know, and that's cool, and that's amazing. But we don't really see ourselves in that, in that position or spot as sons and daughters of God. And Jesus here is talking to these people. He's saying, hey, this is, this is what it looks like to follow God. He gets into this prayer, and he says, I just want you to know, like, you can identify God as your father as well. Just like God is Jesus' father, you can identify God as your father. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our father. Not only is it a relational thing, he's saying that when you pray, you need to remember who you're praying to. This is our father. This is dad. This is daddy, right? Like that makes me uncomfortable sometimes just to think, start off a prayer, hey daddy, like that's that's, that's a weird thought to be able to communicate with God like that because God feels so far away sometimes. And Jesus is trying to reel him back in and say, no, he's, not, he's really not. He's really close. He's our father. He's our father. And I think like anytime we, we say that, we have to realize that there are people in the room that that's not a pleasant thing for, right? Like if I was like, who has issues, don't raise your hand please, because it'd be almost everybody. Uh, who has issues with your relationship with, with you and your earthly father? There'd be so many of us that were like, yeah, it's me. Right. Uh, maybe not so close to my dad, or may, maybe dad is um, not even present for some of us, or maybe dad is abusive for some of us, or maybe dad's just a jerk to some of us, or maybe dad doesn't just care about some of us. And, and, and let's be honest, in a room with five people, that's probably true for a lot of us. There's so many people that have issues with, with this, and, and I've, I've had conversations with some people about maybe that's why Satan attacks the, the image of the father in, in the family is because God relates himself to our father, and if he can tear down what we know about our earthly father, maybe he can tear down what we think about our heavenly father. But see, the, the truth of it is, no matter who, maybe you had the best dad in the world, maybe you had the worst dad in the world, God's not just like a bigger version of your earthly father. And I think it's so important we remember that. He's not just like a farther removed version of your earthly father. He, he's, he's the perfected version of your earthly father. And what that means is we don't have to attach all our dad baggage onto God. Like if our dad was a jerk, that doesn't automatically make dad a jerk. And if our dad was the best dad in the world, it doesn't make God just kind of like that. Because even that is flawed to what God is. And Jesus says, hey, when you pray, like you're, you're praying to your Father in heaven, like the perfected version of what a father should be. Like that's who you're praying to today. 
So like the, the, the best thing you could think about, all those qualities, maybe if you had such a not great dad that you wish you had in your dad, God exceeds every one of those. And if you had the best dad in the world who did all those things, God exceeds every single one of those things. And Jesus is saying, when you come and pray, you got to realize this is who we're talking to today. We're, A, talking to God. Hey, we showed up today to pray, to talk to God, and it's a relational thing. And if you want to have a relationship with God, like a meaningful, hey, God's talking to me and I'm talking to God thing, prayer is the beginning place of that. But we also got to remember who we are praying to. And it's our Father in heaven, our Father who loves us. I just want to say that because I feel like that's so important for some of us today. God loves us, and we're praying. We're talking to a God who loves us. This God really cares about the things that we care about. I think sometimes we think, oh, our prayers are too small. Like God didn't want to care. He didn't want to hear all that stuff. No, God wants to hear all that stuff. You know how, like, people annoy you sometimes? You're like, how are you doing? And they give you, like, the whole, like, this is the 30-minute version of how I'm doing. Like, God's okay with that. I'm not. and no, I'm just kidding. Um, but God is. Because he cares about us. He loves us. He, he delights in us talking to him. And he wants to speak to us. This is a God who wants what's best for us. I think in the prayer this morning, I think sometimes we get like we're begging God for things. We're trying to like pry things out of his hand. No, God wants what's best for us. Doesn't he say when he's talking about him, like, he's not like some of you. Like how many of you guys being imperfect fathers, if your kid come to you and they ask for a fish, would give them a stone, right? Like, He's like, and if you're, none of you would do that, and, and you're not perfect fathers, you're not perfect parents, but here's this father in heaven. Like, he, he delights in giving us what's good for us. He wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. He loves us. He cares about us. This is the God we're praying to, and Jesus is reminding us of this because when we go to pray, we need to be sure that God's listening. I'll say that again because some of us have tuned out already. When we pray, we need to be sure that God is listening because it'll change how we pray. If we're like, ah, maybe God's out, you know, shot in the dark, you know, like scratching off the lottery ticket here today, like we're not going to really try to have a relationship with God and talk to God. But man, when we realize God does care and he does hear and he does love and he does want, want what's best for us, it, it changes the way we pray. And that's why Jesus starts with this foundation. When you pray, you should pray like this. Here's the attitude. There's a father listening to you. This is dad. He says, our father in heaven. And then he says, your name be honored as holy. Think of him as he is. Your name is honored as holy. What's he saying there about God? This is a holy God. It's not just some earthly dad who's like hanging out, telephone call, bro dad. Like this is not him. Like this is our father in heaven who is holy. And we should honor his name as that. He's reminding us here even more about the character of the person of God. Yes, he is a loving father, and he's good, and he wants what's best for us, and he cares about us. But he's also a God that in, in every single way is different than everything that we know. Holy is a word that we have some trouble with because holy is a word that we cannot see around us. The only reference to holy is, is the things that God would make holy, things that are set apart for God. We see in the Old Testament, he sets apart a people for himself. He sets apart things in, in this temple or this tabernacle for himself. We, we actually have been declared holy by God, those of us that know him. And we are set apart for God 
But in the context of God, set apart for God doesn't really make sense, does it? God is set apart for God. That's not what holy means there. Holy is a different thing when it talks about God. And God is the only being in, in all of creation that is holy on his own. That is intrinsically holy. He's just holy in who he is. Nobody had to declare God holy or make God holy. Like nobody prayed enough that God became holy. Like God is just holy. And what it means in the context of God, the only person that this is true for is transcendence or otherness. That God is in a class of his own. He's he's one of a kind. And not only just in who he is, but in everything that he is. And the way he loves, he is holy. It's, it's a totally different kind of love. And the way that he cares, it's holy. It's a totally different kind of care. And the way that he provides, it's holy. It's a totally different kind of provision. Like God is completely different in every single way. And the angels can't even describe God because there are no actual words other than holy to describe God. Because good, 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 right? We just saying it, isn't really enough to capture the goodness of God. Because God's goodness is otherworldly. It's different. There's nothing like it. So they just sat around and they're like, holy, holy, holy. Other, other, other. Different, different, different. In a class of his own, class of his own, class of his own is this God. He's, he's not like anything we've ever seen. The angels are singing songs. This God is so unlike anything else in all of creation. And they've seen more than us. And he says when we pray, we got to come in and we got to pray and we got to realize that this God is so different. Than anything that we could ever imagine. This God is so above anything that we could ever imagine or ask for. This God is so in a class of his own. And you get into this moment where we say, God, you you love me. Dad, you care for me. God, I know you're listening. And I shouldn't even be here right now. This is the prayer. I shouldn't be allowed to speak to you right now because there's nothing like you. There's no way in the world, Father, that you should be listening to me right now or that I should even be able to call you Father. You're so above, you're so beyond, you're so different. There's no way in the world that I should be in this moment that I'm in right now. And that's what he's saying. We come in and we realize this is a God who loves us and cares about us, but we also realize this is enormous privilege that we can pray to this God. There's no way in the world somebody like me should be able to talk to somebody like him is what he's saying. This is holy ground, right? I shouldn't be in this place. And when we get in that place, what that does is it begins to transform how we pray. Now, don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, we could use a little tune-up in the prayer department in our life. I'll be honest, most of us pray just like I pray most of the time. Hey, God, um, thanks for waking me up this morning. If you could make nothing really suck today, that'd be great. See you about lunchtime. Hey, God, thanks for this food. There are homeless people somewhere. Make sure they have food. Amen. A little bit later, dinner time, right? Hey, same prayer that I just prayed for lunch. And then nighttime comes, and I'm like, if I don't fall asleep beforehand, right? Anybody? Thank you, honest people back there somewhere in the dark, right? Like, if I stay awake long enough, hey, God, thanks for keeping me alive today. Sorry, I suck at life. That's the repentance part. See you tomorrow. 
Now, how much of that was, oh my gosh, this is the dad who loves me and cares about me and wants to hear from me today. How much of that was relational? How much of that was, I shouldn't be here? How much of that was thankfulness that God would even hear me today? How much of that was, was even the first, maybe, what is that, verse of the prayer Jesus says to pray? It's, it's not words that he's trying to get us to. It's an attitude of prayer. See, I can blow through this just like I can blow through the subway prayer, right? Like, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, or you, I can go on. But the point, right? That's not an attitude. That's repetition and religion, and it doesn't get us anywhere. And Jesus is trying to park us here on an attitude of prayer. He's like, man, when you realize what's really happening when you pray, it'll change the way that you pray. When you step up into prayer from the guy who basically, we can just all agree today that God hears his prayers, right? If there's anybody that God's ever heard his prayers, it's Jesus who is God. And through his advice today, he's saying this is the attitude that you step into prayer with. He is our father who cares about us and loves us and wants to hear from us. He wants to meet with us. And he's, he's wanting just maybe a little more today than a little two-minute one-off in the middle of the day. Because that's not relationship either. This is God who cares about the little things and the big things and all the things because he doesn't care about the things. He cares about you. And this is the God that it is such a privilege today that I even have the ability to talk to. And to talk to him, I don't have to go get ritually bathed and change all my clothes. I just have to start speaking. And this God listens because he wants to hear from me. And that is privilege that we all enjoy today and Jesus says when you come to pray pray like this our father in heaven your name be honored as holy and then what's he say and then and then we begin to pray your kingdom come your kingdom come this means two things Um, one most of us probably never pray for right Literally, Jesus, come on back. I'm like ready for you to come back. I'm like, if you just come on back right now, we're going to be okay. Like, you don't, have to, you don't have to send me an email. I don't need to get ready for anything. I don't need to live like a couple more years and then check all my boxes. Like, you are the box that I want to check today. Come on back. Like, that's part of that prayer. Your kingdom come, that there's this longing in us for, for heavenly things in a heavenly place today, that we want Jesus just to come on back into this world. How do you, how do you get there? Well, you get there through entering the door of, this is my father who loves me and cares for me and wants to meet with me, and I shouldn't be here, and I really shouldn't be there, but he wants me to be there. So whenever you want to come back, Jesus, I'm good with it. You come back today. You come back right now. I'm going to eat this Subway if you don't come back, but if you do come back, like you can come back before Subway because I'm more hungry for you than I am for the Subway. So come on back. 
your kingdom come. I'm waiting. It's this, it's this longing. Before I ask you really for anything, I just want to let you know I'm longing for you. Your kingdom come. And then what's he say? Your will be done. And not only your will be done, but listen to this, on earth as it is in heaven. This clarifies that he's not only talking about Jesus stepping back out of the clouds, but we're praying today, if you don't step right back on out of the clouds, let your will be done. Right here on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying? Jesus' authority over our life. God, I want to be the kingdom if I'm not going to the kingdom. If I'm not coming into your kingdom today, let your kingdom come in me today. Like I, If I'm not going into heaven today, let heaven come in me today. I want to follow you in this place just like people follow you in heaven. And I'll just let you know today, in heaven, the word of God is the authority. Can I just get another amen from somebody? In heaven, the word of God is the authority. And there is nobody confused in heaven today who's in charge in heaven today. It's a little harder for us because we're like down here and we think we're in charge and we're the big dog and like I'm the thing and I'm the head of the me and the head of the house and all that stuff. But here's the reality for all of us that know Jesus. He's the head of the me and the head of the house. And he says, if you're not coming today, God, then let your kingdom come in me. Let not your will in my brother and my sister and my father-in-law and all that stuff be done, but your will be done in me today. And what we're doing is we're praying that we would just align ourselves with the priorities and the will of God for our life. We've not started on the... And if you could get me a new car, and you could keep me alive, and you can make sure I get to eat today. We've not started on that today. He says, this is the attitude we should have when we come and we pray to God. You're our Father who loves us and cares for us and wants what's best for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm here today, and I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't even be able to speak and you listen today. There shouldn't be a relationship today. And aside from Jesus, there wouldn't be a relationship today. I'm in privilege today through the cross of Christ today that I can talk to God today. And that's transformed me today. And I just want you to know today, I'm ready for you to come back. Because Jesus, your kingdom come. But if it doesn't come right now, this moment, let it come into me and God align me with you today I let your will be done in my life on earth here as it is in heaven I'm not waiting until I get somewhere to follow God I'm where I need to be to follow God today and then 11 like is the favorite part of the prayer for all of us we skip 9 and 10 and we go straight to 11 what's he say give us today our daily bread God, in this prayer, Jesus makes a space for us to pray about what we need. Can I just say today, God's okay with you praying about what you need. If you got out of the first two verses, don't pray about what I need, come in and I shouldn't be here and I'm so lowly. That, that's true, but the cross has changed that for us. But God makes a way for us to pray for what we need in here. And, and, and I think God cares about those things. Now, he doesn't say, give me today the bread and the steak and the meat and the potatoes and the new car and I want to win the lottery. Like, that's not in there. You can pray for that and maybe God will do that for you, but that, that's not a guarantee today. God's not a genie. 
You don't have him trapped like I've heard people name it and claim it. I don't, I don't even know what that is. But God's not a genie that you just come and you rub the prayer lamp and he's going to be bound to do whatever you want him to do. Like there's, God has free will um, and, and, he's, and he knows what's best and what's going to harm us he's not going to give us. And what's not going to eventually push to the ultimate plan of God he's not going to throw a roadblock in the way for. God knows what he's doing beyond what we know. And God has a purpose and a reason for everything that he answers and does not answer. But God will also today give us what we need. And he gives us a space to pray for that because God cares about what we need. He's a good father and he wants to provide for his children. He says, give us today our daily bread. And then he says this, right? In 12, there's like one line that's the least part of the prayer, not the greatest part of the prayer, right? And then in line 12 here, he says, and forgive us our debts. Repentance should be a part of prayer. If your prayer doesn't involve repentance, then you've got to open your eyes and see that you need it, I guess. Repentance is not a one-time thing that we do on some altar in the front of a room when we're, you know, somewhere between the ages of 6 and 12. Repentance is a daily thing for those of us that know Jesus because I mess up every single day, and I'm aware of it before I do it half the time. And so do you. You're not God, and until you are, you're going to need repentance. And down there in the prayer somewhere, he gives us this ability to ask God to forgive us every single time. Now, I love that because... What that means is God's not just going to hear us and forgive us one time. And then the next time it's on us, and the next time it's on us, and the next time it's on us. And if we really, really seem sorry, time number seven, maybe he'll do it again. But that God is a forgiving God. And that we can go to God and we can ask over and over and over again for him to forgive us. And you know what God does over and over and over, he forgives us. And Jesus puts a space for repentance in, in this prayer, this attitude of prayer. And he says, your prayer should have an attitude of repentance somewhere in there. And he says, forgive us our debts, but look what he ties it to. He says, as we also have, not might or should or could, or maybe someday in the future will, but as we also have, listen, forgiven our debtors. He ties our repentance with our forgiveness. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. God, help me to forgive or help me to be forgiven like I forgive. That's the prayer if you just boil it down, right? Help me to be forgiven like I forgive. Man, what a dangerous prayer. Because this is where we're going today, right? God, help me to forgive. He doesn't even say that, does he? God, help me to forgive people. 
he actually just goes ahead and implies today that we've already forgiven. And then he, he prays a dangerous prayer. Help me to be forgiven like I have forgiven. Now, I'm going to let you know, I'm not going to raise my hand and be like, I'm ready to pray this prayer. Anybody? God, I want you to forgive me just like I forgive people. Because that's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Because if we think about how we forgive people, it's not normally like God forgives people. See, even those of us that are the best forgivers, we, we have the list, right? Talked about the list last week. We're like, okay, they did this thing, oh, but I'll forgive it. Oh, time number two. They did that thing again, but I'll forgive it. And we, and we keep up with every single thing that, that's ever been done to us by said person. And then we say that we forgive, but here's, here's the question. Can you really forgive if you keep up with every single thing that that person's ever done? Because what we end up doing is we, we stack maybe, maybe the first issue was like a huge issue. And somehow we got past it and we forgave it. But then the next thing comes. And then we stack that issue on top of, instead of creating a new pile of issue to get rid of, we stack that on top of old issue. And maybe we get past it, and then we stack that on top of old issue. And what we end up doing is we end up building a mountain of list and unforgiveness. So maybe, like, as we get up the mountain, what we realize is, like, it's, it's maybe just little things now, right? Like, that person's behavior has completely changed since issue number one. But now we got these little issues, and the little issue sets us off because we've never dealt with the root issue because we, we're, people, we're proponents of forgive but not forget you know it says in Psalm 103 about how God forgives it says our sins been removed from us as far as the east is from the west not God just stacks it up and stacks it up and stacks it up and stacks it up but God just cast it away I don't think I want to trade the two. God, forgive me like I forgive people. Keep a list. Or like, what about the question from last week? How many times do I have to forgive that person? How many times do I have to forgive them? Aren't you glad that God doesn't count how many times he's forgiven us? What's the question we love to ask? What if they keep doing the same thing? <laughs> God, help me forgive. Or help me be forgiven like I forgive. Let's be honest. How many of us do the same thing? Oh, man, I messed up again. That was five minutes ago, I know, but <laughs> forgive me. What if God came back with, I don't know, man. You just did that like five minutes ago. If you're really sorry, you wouldn't have done it again. What a, what a dangerous prayer that Jesus puts in the middle of this prayer. 
God, I want to be forgiven just like I forgive. That we would be able to pray prayers like that. That God would help us to be able to pray prayers like that. Can I just say today the key to praying prayers like that is the gospel. Because see, we are we are all fans of forgiveness. As long as we're the ones receiving the forgiveness, right? I love forgiveness when it's aimed at me. I love forgiveness when, when, when it's Jesus on the cross paying a great price to forgive me. I love forgiveness when Jesus has to die to forgive me. Uh, it's my favorite subject when forgiveness is aimed at me, but it's not so easy when forgiveness is aimed the other direction and it comes from me. Actually, it's, it's unnatural. Actually, it's supernatural. See, we don't have the ability to forgive like that without, A, being forgiven like that. You will never truly know forgiveness until you've witnessed it first from God. You've done everything wrong. You screwed it all up. You messed it all up. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm not keeping a tally today. I'm actually going to die today so I can burn the list today because I love you in spite of you. <laughs> Until we've witnessed that, we will never forgive like that because forgiveness like that can only come through the cross. It's when we realize that we're in the same boat as the offender, right? We all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all choose to do things that we shouldn't do, and we all do them repeatedly. And we all need grace, and, and I've received grace at great cost, right? To God, I've received grace, and, and today because I've received grace, I can pass out grace. I can hand out grace. But it's only when I see myself in the forgiveness of God that I can give out forgiveness to others. And, and Jesus' prayer here implies that, that we are forgiven, but also that we are forgiving. See, forgiven people are forgiving people. That's the point he's trying to get across in these moments. And he, and he says, God, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. He goes on and he finishes the prayer. He says, do not bring us into temptation. In other words, we can pray that we not be tempted or led into temptation, that we be delivered from evil. That's a possibility for us today. And then it ends with worship. And he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the attitude of prayer that Jesus talks about. But when Jesus gets done Praying this prayer, he goes back and he begins to explain just a moment of the prayer. He does this weird thing where he doesn't start at verse 9 and work his way down. He, he starts at verse 12 and he only talks about verse 12 and he clarifies this for us. He says, for if you 
forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Does that like feel harsh to anybody? When you read that, like you're like, I, I don't know. Like, Jesus, did you really say that? Or did Matthew just like, he was having a really good time and like he just got carried away? But like Jesus said this thing. He says, if you forgive people their wrongdoing, then God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive people, your father won't forgive you. You're like, Jesus, what are you doing there? Because it seems like Jesus is tying God's forgiveness to, to stipulations in our life, doesn't it? Like, if you do this, God will forgive you. And if you don't do this, then God won't forgive you. And that's not grace. That's works. So, like, what's God really saying here? What's Jesus really saying here? And what, what he's saying here is exactly what we just said. Forgiven people are forgiving people. It's, it's not suggestion, it's fact. Forgiven people are forgiving people. He says this is the litmus test today. If you want to know in the heart of it how you've been forgiven, you just look at how you forgive. Because here's reality for all of us. And I'm not making light of anything anybody's done to you. I know some of you have had horrible things done to you by people. Unforgivable things done to you by people and, and what God is asking us to do is even in the face of that to be forgiving and you're like that's not fair God I don't know how you would ask me to do that well look at what we've done to God he created us he made us the Bible says we were knit together by the hand of God in our, in our mother's womb, that he made you exactly how he wanted you to be made for a purpose and he had a plan for you and then you were born and then somewhere around the age of maybe four, five, six, you decided, I don't really care, I don't want God. You're like, I didn't do that. No, we all did that. We, everyone did that. The Bible's clear about that. There's been one perfect guy. His name was Jesus. He was God. He came. He died um, for us because we couldn't be perfect. Like every one of us, aside from that, has chosen not God. And you can put like whatever thing you want to on that. But, but the, the real issue with, with sin is we, we've, we've denied seeing God as who he is. We've made God less valuable. We, we've lowered our opinion of God. That, that's, that's the root issue of sin. The, God didn't get mad because they ate the wrong fruit. He got mad because they chose fruit over God. And we've been choosing fruit over God our whole lives. It's not a do this, don't do this kind of thing. It's a do you see me or don't you see me kind of thing. God made everything. He breathed out the universe and, and he put us inside of that. And he, he said, you, you can be mine and I'll be yours. And all of us at some point or another, multiple times, over and over and over again, over the same thing have said, God, this is more valuable to me than you. Oh, I know you love me. I just don't care. 
Oh, I know you, you, you want me. I just, I just don't care. Not right now anyway. Maybe Sunday, maybe next Sunday, maybe three Sundays from now, maybe never. I don't know, but, but I don't want you like you want me to want you. That's the root. The plant is everything else. The, the fruit is lying. The fruit is lust. The fruit is greed. The fruit is pursuit of power. The fruit is pride. The root is, I just don't care because I don't think you're that valuable. He says it like this, what what is the pot to look at the potter and say you did it wrong? Man, we're we're just clay and we try to tell the creator what's best for us. And we've rejected him and rejected him and rejected him and rejected him. And some of us have done it 12 times today. But every single time, you know what God does? I forgive you. I nailed it to the cross. 2,000 years ago, before you ever thought about asking me for forgiveness, I already chose forgiveness. I said, before you ever walked in the room and said, hey, I I need a savior, I said, I'm willing to be the savior if you ever recognized it. That is forgiveness. Not waiting for somebody to ask, but deciding, I'm I'm done with it. You're forgiven. You may never come and ask, but you're forgiven. And it doesn't mean I'm letting you off the hook. And it doesn't mean that it's not a big deal. And it doesn't mean you didn't hurt me. It just means I'm not carrying around hurt for the rest of my life. I'm not letting you beat me down and chain me to this situation. I've seen what God has done for me. And through what God has done for me, I'm just going to do a little bit for you. I'm letting you go so that I can let go. That's forgiveness. God's not asking you to sweep something under the rug today and act like it's not a big deal. He's saying, unchain yourself to this thing. They may never come in and ask. They may never say they're sorry. It doesn't matter. There's millions of people on this planet Jesus died for that are never gonna say they're sorry and he did it anyway. They may do the same thing tomorrow and they may do the same thing the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. But through the power of I've been forgiven, I can forgive today. I can get up and leave this situation and walk in forgiveness because I've been forgiven. That's what God's inviting us into today through the cross. He said, hey, look at what you've done. I love you today and I forgive you today. And I want you to know, forgiven people forgive people. So when you get up and you walk out of this place, you got to start letting go of some of those things. And what's that leave us with today? Here's what it leaves us with today. I I had so many people walk up last week and and some of the stories, like I didn't even know that. It blew my mind because I've like no, there's nothing that's been done to me like what's been done to some of you guys. You said, how do I forgive this person for this thing? It is no coincidence today that Jesus contained forgiveness inside of this story about prayer. There's no magic thing today that's just going to erase what's been done to you. But he says today, we have a father who loves us and cares for us and values us. 
and who we shouldn't even be allowed to speak to, but he's allowing us to speak to him today. And he cares about every hurt and every heartache and everything that's ever been done to us. And yes, it's horrible. And yes, it's over, but he cares about it today. And we have access to that. So today, it's not like glossing over and saying, hey, I can't, I can't hold on to this anymore because for most of us, that's not gonna work. We can't just let go of that thing. But Jesus contains this inside of prayer because here's the reality. The key to forgiving those people in your life is gonna be found in that place. You may not let go today and you may not let go tomorrow and you may not let go the next day, but if you keep going back to that father and you let him heal the hurt and you let him kind of move into that place of pain, he's gonna get you into a place today where you can unshackle yourself from that anger and you can let go of that hurt. You don't have to hide that place from him because God wants to step into that place today. And it all starts with this. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. I'm here. And I know you love me. How could I deny it? Sent like the most valuable thing in all the creation to give his life to to purchase me to set me free 